Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Good morning and happy Friday, and it is a beautiful day to praise the Lord and have joy in all things. And I am so overwhelmed and appreciative of the greater uh, Christian community and the Church of Jesus Christ uh, that we all as Christians are part of, and your uh, prayers, encouragement, and support of me as I uh, walk through this uh, trial, uh, literally, that uh, is, is coming up in uh, Georgia with the weaponization of government and the attempt to criminalize the practice of law. And uh, many of our AFR listeners have asked how you can help. Um, First, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, the comments that you have sent to our comments line uh, to me directly. And first, please pray for me uh, for the Lord's protection, strength, and grace through this process that I would be found faithful to him. If you want to reach out to me directly, my email here is jenna at afr.net. That's jenna, J-E-N-N-A, at afr.net. And I do have a legal defense fund available for anyone who would like to help with uh, my legal costs. This is very expensive, and I am grateful for your support and any way you can help. If you are interested in that, you can go to givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. That's givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. And there is also a prayer tab there. And uh, as of this morning, we have uh, received approximately 4,000 prayer messages there. And I've been scrolling through those and um, just, again, uh, so thankful for God's people because um, this is a moment that uh, for me is a an example and a demonstration of God's goodness, his uh, providence, and uh, his supply. And, um, and this is where Christians are called uh, to pray for one another. Um, we uh, we have joy with those um, who are have joy and we grieve with those who grieve. And um, you know I have, I have friends who are in, other types of trials uh, in their lives right now. One of my my best friends um, is going through a uh, extremely difficult circumstance in in her private um, life, and I am walking through that with her and encouraging her to trust the Lord in all things. And um, you know, th- these are things where we don't always know what the Lord has for us each and every day, but it is an opportunity to trust him and to know that he is good, he is sovereign, and he is faithful. He is faithful and just uh, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And um, I'm going to be speaking later on in this program with uh, my dear friend, Pastor Tom Askell of Grace Bible Church in Florida, to talk more more about how uh, we as Christians 
can face uh, trials and persecutions that inevitably come and how God wants us to respond. He's given us the instruction and the wisdom in his word to do what is right and live out the Christian life daily. And I am grateful to be here at AFR to um, go through this with you, with your support, uh, with the support of this radio network, and um, to truly have the opportunity, frankly, to live out my faith and to apply the truth that is in the Bible to my daily life, um, even in the midst of this circumstance, um, as I have been not perfectly at all, but um, continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord uh, daily. And so again, thank you so much. And that email is Jenna at AFR.net. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. So joining me now is Riley Gaines, who is the director of the new Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute. And Riley, I am so excited that you're partnering with the Leadership Institute. I was actually a graduate of the Leadership Institute in college myself. They do such wonderful work. And so uh, this center is going to focus on advocacy for women and girls. And we know the definition of of women. And so uh, this is so important, the work that you're doing. So tell us a little bit more about this initiative. Absolutely. Um, I'm finding more and more people who are graduates of, of the Leadership Institute. So that's really cool. Um, but yeah, this the Riley Gaines Center, really this is, when I started speaking out, I, I knew that I wanted to do something along these lines uh, of creating a place where people could go to know there was support. Um, because again, when I was in that position where I knew this was wrong, but I was scared to say something, um, we were silenced. It was it was this weird emotional blackmail that we were taunted with. And so I wanted people to have a, a home base essentially where there's resources and there's mentorship and there's there's guidance and there's a training program you can go through to where you feel empowered, you feel emboldened, you have the correct resources and effective communication communication tools to talk about this. Um, we need more leaders, whether that's you know, campus leaders or sports leaders, like a captain on a team or community leaders or national leaders or school board leaders, whatever that looks like, I know we need more of them, uh, more people willing to stand firm in the truth and, and have unwavering values, uh, which unfortunately is dwindling. Um, so that's what the Riley Gaines Center is. I'm super excited. Um, we're also going to be able to fund to put con- uh, conservative speakers back on college campuses um, coming from a college campus recently, I know how the freedom of speech is under threat. Um, calling yourself a conservative, especially a Christian conservative, it's essentially equivalent to being a criminal, um, which is crazy. These are supposed to be institutions of higher education where you're supposed to consider new perspectives and have these conversations, but those are few and far between, especially at Ivy League universities, which you would imagine it would be the opposite, but it's not. 
Yeah, these are really becoming centers of higher indoctrination and uh, wanting to quell anyone who disagrees with the overall narrative, particularly uh, state funded institutions, but then also uh, so I went to Colorado State and saw and observed a lot of that, um, even you know back when I was an undergrad. But then also a lot of these Ivy League institutions, they're wanting to diminish um, any sort of freedom of thought, freedom of expression. And uh, one of the things, Riley, that I so appreciate about your platform is that you are all about coalition building and team building. And so with this new center, um, it, that makes a lot of sense why you are trying to give the resources two young women uh, in particular, and everyone who's an advocate for women's sports, for women's issues, and uh, for the truth, simply. And so um, what was your experience that that you mentioned um, in feeling like you were uh, really told to just be quiet and stand down and you couldn't speak up? What was that experience like uh, when you were a college athlete? Absolutely. So we were told you know, just stay quiet. It'll be easier. You don't want to paint your university in a bad light. You don't want to paint your team in a bad light. You know, this is something that will follow you forever. You'll be able to transphobe and and that will prevent you from getting a job that will prevent you from getting into grad school. That will, you'll, you know, you'll lose your friends. You'll lose your scholarship. If you speak out, um, they told us, you know, you can't, you can't use your voice because your school has already taken your stance for you. Um, they told us when when we were concerned about the locker room aspect of it, um, Leah Thomas's teammates even, they sent an email to their administration at, U- at University of Pennsylvania expressing their discomfort. And their university responded back with, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia, here are some counseling resources that you should seek in an attempt to re-educate yourself. And of course, the counseling center they were referring them to was the LGBTQ Education Center. Um, they told us that if we did speak out and any harm whatsoever were to come towards Thomas's way, whether that was physical, mental, emotional, through social media, whatever that looked like, then we were solely responsible and we would be responsible for a potential death. Therefore, we would be murderers. They told us we would be murderers if we advocated for privacy in our locker rooms and, and equal opportunities. And so it was effective in keeping us quiet. It kept me quiet from November when I found out, November of 2021, when I found out who Leah Thomas was until March of 2022. Um, I truly, I I waited. I waited for someone else to do it. I thought surely someone would. Surely someone who was supposed to be protecting us would protect us, like someone's dad or a coach or someone within the NCAA, someone with political power, someone would do something. This shouldn't come from a 21-year-old girl. I didn't know what I was doing. I still, honestly, don't know what I'm doing. Um, But I realized that that's not what we were seeing. Um, And it kind of hit me, this realization that if we as women, we as female athletes, weren't okay with what's happening, then we have to stand up for ourselves. It's not fair for us to expect someone else to do it. This has to come from us. And so that's really what thrusted me over the edge into kind of abandoning the plans that I had made for myself and trusting God and, and trusting that he has his hand on it. He has his hand on me. Um, and really, as you mentioned, just standing for truth, because that's what that's what this is. The, the broader picture of this is that they're asking us to deny objective truth, the most basic of truths, actually, man and woman. It's the essence of humanity. And they're asking us to deny that. And that's a pretty chilling thought. Um, If we can't 
you know, hold on to that. It's like asking us to deny that the sky is blue. And once they have control over our thoughts and how we feel and what we say, not to be grim, but it's like a George Orwell dystopian novel, but we're living it. Um, but in the vein of, of not wanting to end on a grim note with that statement, I am hopeful um, because more and more people daily are becoming emboldened and empowered enough to know what's at stake, to see the harm being done to, as it pertains to the gender ideology stuff, specifically to children and to women. Um, and I think they're realizing that the majority of people are on our side, despite what you see on the media and despite how polarizing you see politicians vote, the majority of common sense Americans um, know this is utter lunacy. Mm -hmm. they, they do. And I am so grateful that you were willing to speak up. And I'm speaking with uh, Riley Gaines, who is the director of the newly launched Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute. And uh, you're going to provide support and resources and encouragement and coalition building for uh, women's sports issues for the truth on so many levels. And, and Riley, I think um, that that really resonates with so many people who see what's going on in the world and the culture around us. And not only are they seeing some of these basic, basic essential truths, like the definition and the difference biologically between women men and women um, being completely denied. But then if we even speak up about that and say, no, this is the truth, then it's it's like we're treated as we're the lunatics and we're the ones that aren't just going with um, the affirmation of all of these people who just want to live their lives. But your story, I, I mean, I find that just so despicable that they would essentially blame the victim and say for, for you as young women to be in a college a locker room and being forced to see a male undress himself and to be a, a victim of his choices, where was the concern for the women who were involved? And why is it this hierarchy that, that the institutions want to support literally the man over protecting young women? There was no concern for our privacy. There was no concern for our safety. There was no concern for our dignity, our mental health, our feelings. I mean, the list goes on. There was no concern for any of that, which is why this experience felt like betrayal. Um, I was, I had this understanding that people wanted the best for me, for my teammates, for my competitors, for my little sister, for us as women, especially female athletes, as we've seen the NCAA and, and politicians, especially the left, really championed themselves around Title IX and what that did for women. But my understanding was wrong. I was naive to think that because they sent a message loud and clear. And that message is that we don't matter. Um, that message is that we're not worthy of equal opportunity. Um, which again, it, it begs the question of where are the feminists, right? Um, yes. Where are the women who fought so hard for us to be at the position where we're at now? Um, I mean, even and look at Megan Rapino, who even just um, a week or two ago after the World Cup elimination game, when they asked her, you know, what's your, your most proud accomplishment? And she says equal pay. But the irony of her fighting for equal pay and now fighting for men to be included in our spaces and in our sports is almost comical. Like it's almost hilarious, the double standard and the, the hypocrisy behind it. And so, um, I think this original first wave, second wave feminism 
it really hurt us actually and take us took us back as women because we men and and women i wholeheartedly believe we were created equal but that being said we're different we have differences that don't make us as women inferior it doesn't make us weak or or incapable of achieving incredible things that that's not what i mean when i say different i mean our bodies are different um the nature of man and woman is different um and i think it's something that we really complement each other um and we're we're failing to understand that we're failing to acknowledge that and so it, it's gotten to us to the point we're at and and to to your question too my argument is not anti-trans it's not anti-anything my argument is pro-woman my argument is pro-fairness and again my argument is pro-truth um that's what i'm fighting for and i have so many standing beside me and behind me that's what we're all fighting for and i, and I love that term coalition uh because we are we're building a coalition of parents and coaches and medical professionals and, and even people who would consider themselves lifelong liberals who are so fed up with what the democratic party is doing to to women doing again to truth um i had a lifelong liberal uh say to me and, and that's what she calls herself i didn't just she says she's a lifelong liberal she voted for biden all that stuff but she said to me the other day and i thought this was so powerful she said, how can our government defend what they can't even define? And it's so true because we, I mean, think about it. We have a sitting Supreme Court justice who can't even define what a woman is because she says she's not a biologist. Well, guess what? I'm not a veterinarian, but I know what a dog is. And he's been pacing around. So you probably, you probably have seen my dog in this video. So, um, but that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. But I thought that was really powerful. So again, how can you defend what you can't define? Yeah. And you're so right that this is utter hypocrisy and it's and it's beyond absurd when you have uh, the Biden administration who is saying, well, we have to have diversity on the bench, which means that we have to have a black woman. But then we can't define what race or gender is. Um, and so how can they possibly support those two propositions simultaneously? And it is totally absurd when they're trying to redefine everything and completely obfuscate the truth. And this goes back to exactly what you were saying, that we know from the Bible and the truth of the reality to which God has presented us, that he made us male and female. And that is a fundamental beginning truth. And if we allow those terms and those definitions to then be a spectrum and be um, completely redefined based on how people feel. And it doesn't matter how Leah Thomas wants to voice himself and his genitals over everyone else that may come into contact with him in the locker room. It doesn't matter. We just have to affirm his feelings. Then what else are we saying is negotiable in society? And so when we are taking out any sort of measurement of objective truth from society, we're excising God, we're excising that truth can be determined and found, it's discoverable, it's concrete, then we've completely lost. And I think you're absolutely right that feminism is rejecting the whole idea of what it means to be equal and equal can only come from the truth of God. And so, um, Riley, in just the last few minutes that I have with you um, here too, what type of uh, momentum have you personally felt 
uh, with and, and observed and seen with um, your voice and your stand because you know you're right. It shouldn't take a, a 21 year old to come and say, "Hey, everybody, we have to do something about this." But I'm so grateful, and that's how God uses people. He raises people up and says, "You know, hey, I knew that this was never your plan for your life, but." Here you're going, and I'm so grateful that you responded to that call and you were willing to stand up. And so what has this been like now and with launching this new uh, Leadership Institute Center and initiative uh, to see these results and see how God has blessed you? It's huge, right? This is never a position that I saw myself in. This is never something really that I knew I was overly passionate about until I was directly impacted by it. And then I realized, hold on. I really care about this. Um, we've seen now 22 states pass some sort of fairness in women's sports bill, which is huge considering just three years ago, I think there was only three states that had. Uh, so so lots of momentum there. I think more and more states will continue to, to do such. Um, I won't hold out hope on states like California and New York and, and, and Michigan and, and things of that yet. Um, or I guess I, I'm, I'm holding out hope a little bit, but we'll see. I'm, I'm confident that more states will continue to pass it. Um, also, the Women's Bill of Rights is a bill that we've been pushing at the state level as well as the federal level. Um, and what this is, crazily enough, is a bill, a law that would define the word woman and other sex-based terms such as male, female, mother, father, um, girl, boy, things like that, which again is crazy that we even need. Uh, but we've seen that pass in Kansas and then Tennessee and then Governor Sitt out of Oklahoma just signed an executive order on the Women's Bill of Rights. Um, so really great stuff there. Uh, continuing to work at the federal level to combat the Biden administration's rewrite and implementation of Title IX to where they are now equating sex to gender identity, meaning in a nutshell, as there would be no discriminating on the basis of gender identity on college campuses. So men can join sororities, they would have full access to bathrooms, locker rooms, changing spaces, um, and could take academic and athletic scholarships away from women, um, and, and all, all of those things. And so combating that in every way I can, uh, they're going to want to be sneaky about it. They're going to want to do it quietly so no one knows. Um, I, I think their implementation is in October. So doing everything I can to highlight the work behind the scenes they're doing there so it doesn't just slip under the radar like they want it to. Yeah, and, and that's what's so important as well is to make sure that everyone who is a conservative and who is championing the truth in all of these various forums on the state and federal level know and are aware of this happening. I mean, I remember when uh, there was SOGI language, the sexual orientation, gender identity language that was um, trying to get slipped into the uh, the USMCA, uh, even during President Trump's administration and that replaced NAFTA and that trade agreement because uh, then that would be controlling over a lot of the federal employment uh, type of things. And, and of course, Congress hasn't passed any of that yet, but um, there's always that sneaky language that gets in. And uh, once it was highlighted and brought to conservative organizations' attention, then we can actually combat that and we can do something about it. Um, and we and that's why sunshine is, of course, the best disinfectant. And so, uh, Riley, you have been um, such an incredible role model for other young women as well um, to stand up and just say with courage, this is the truth. Here I stand and I'm going to proclaim it and I am not going to care all of the hate. And we've seen the hate that you have uh, you've gotten 
literally spit on and attacked on college campuses, which is awful and completely insane that that's happening in this country, but you are resilient. Um, so what is your encouragement to other young women who are watching you and are saying, that's great. I don't know that I would have the courage to do that, but, um, but maybe they see your boldness and they want to emulate that. And that's what makes you a great role model. Just know that it's liberating to say the truth. Um, once you don't have to adhere to the guidelines or to the authority figures who are are pushing something down your throat that makes you throw your own moral compass out of the window, it is liberating. It feels like a weight is off of your shoulders. And once you do that, you won't go back. Um, at least that's entirely how I feel. Um, even when I began to speak out at first, I felt like I had to use the pronouns that that corresponded with what Leah Thomas wanted to be respectful. And it still felt wrong coming out of my mouth, but I felt like I had to. You don't have to. There are no compromises you have to make when it comes to standing firm for what you know to be true, the objective truth at that, not just what you know to be true, what is true. Um, standing firm in your faith, um, you don't have to make compromises. Uh, and so just know that and know that the overwhelming majority of people are on your side. Um, all polling shows it. And it, not just the overwhelming majority of conservatives, um, the overwhelming majority of every party of the general public across the globe knows that that what we're going through as it pertains to um, sports, but even broader than that. They know this is wrong and they know that's harmful to women. Um, so speak up, be bold, be loud. When they threaten you with personal attacks and name calling and all of those things, think of that as encouragement. Think of that, that you're you're doing the right thing. Um, my motto when, when I see the backlash and different things is they wouldn't waste ammunition on something that they don't want to hit. We are right over the target and that scares a lot of people. Um, because we're, again, trying to just restore reality. Um, so that's my encouragement. My encouragement to parents is defend your daughters and teach your sons masculinity. We need more strong men. Just, just as we beg the question of where are the feminists, I think we can beg the question of where are the men. Um, so teach, teach your sons to be masculine. Um, of course, teach them to respect and honor and uphold and celebrate women on our, our you know, our, our uniqueness and our, our own physical ceilings, but teach them how to be strong men. Well said and continue to stand firm. You have so many people around the country and I think around the world at this point that are praying for you, that are advocating for you. And uh, anyone who's interested in the new Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute, you can go to RileyGainesCenter.org. Uh, look at getting involved in supporting this wonderful new initiative and this coalition. And so Riley Gaines, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you. truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And in this last segment, especially on a Friday morning, um, I wanted to bring in my good friend, uh, Tom Askell, who is the senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Florida, um, dear friend of mine and uh, listeners, regular listeners of this show will recognize him because he's been on uh, for a variety of topics to 
encourage uh, all of us in our faith and in the Christian worldview and how we apply the truth of Scripture and the Bible and the truth of the person of God to our daily lives, come what may. And for um, a lot of you who have contacted me, and I'm so, so grateful uh, for your prayers and support um, over this past week, um, I want to... Uh, have this opportunity to um, truly show living out my faith. And uh, like Hebrews 11 and 12 says, uh, faith is that we believe in the promises of God and therefore we act on them. And that's what it means to exercise our faith. And um, so I want to bring in Tom Askell. And uh, Tom, thank you so much for your support um, through all of this. And um, what is the encouragement for Christians on how to live out our faith because so often we say well we can have joy in all circumstances and we praise the Lord and we we think that this means just when everything is going well and the Lord is blessing us in ways that we tangibly perceive as good and beneficial but when trials and sometimes literal trials happen then we think why is God allowing this um, and and so uh, what is the Christian response to the struggles that all of us face, whether it's on kind of the national level like this or, you know, what people are experiencing right now that maybe nobody knows, uh, but they're facing trials in their lives. Right. Yeah. Well, Jenna, first, thank you for uh, inviting me to come on your program again. And and be assured, Donna and I have uh, been praying for you regularly since we've heard all the news. And so sorry. You're in this position, but grateful that you are uh, seeking to navigate this season of your life as someone who does believe in the Lord Jesus. And that's the starting point for us as Christians, is to remember what we believe. Uh, We serve, we trust, we have hope in the God who raises the dead. And Jesus is the proof of that, and so we always are needing to remind ourselves that our God is ruling and reigning in heaven. Nothing's too difficult for him. And I like to try to remind the folks in the church I serve in Cape Coral that we serve, we follow a crucified master. And if we would stop and technically, our Lord accomplished salvation for us. He fulfilled God's will for his life by being slaughtered. And so when we sign up, to become his disciples, to follow after him, we're following a pathway of suffering. It's inevitable. And Jesus told us this. This is another thing I think is very important for us as Christians. We read our Bibles to recognize what we're being told there about what to expect in this world. Uh, We're not getting out without tribulation. Every follower of Christ has promised trials and tribulations in this world. Jesus said it himself. In John 16:33, the night before he was uh, arrested and crucified, he said that in this world you will have tribulation. And if the master that we serve and follow was uh, persecuted and experienced trials, then we should not experience anything less than that. And you know, Paul promises the same thing in 2 Timothy 3:12 that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I find it interesting, especially like in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just talks about trials and persecutions as if they are going to be the natural part of the Christian life. You know, he says um, early in Matthew 5, or in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says, love, pray for those 
who persecute you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So in First Peter 4, Peter says, don't think that something strange is happening to you whenever trials and persecutions come. And yet so often we do because God is so good to us in so many ways so often that we could begin to presume upon it. If we're not careful, you can fall into the very mentality described when everything's well, when we're experiencing evident blessings. Oh, God must really be pleased with us. And if things start to go wrong, we think, oh, no, you know, is God displeased with us? Well, one thing I would always want to say to every Christian is, look, if you, as a Christian, you're in Jesus Christ, God is pleased with you because of his son, Jesus Christ. Your life is all grace, and you can be sure that uh, God is not punishing you for you. And uh, that's, a, that's a vitally important point for Christians to remember. Uh, if God were to punish you and me for our sins, we'd be in hell, because that's the only adequate punishment for sin. And Jesus took that punishment on himself when he suffered on the cross. And so we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no punishment left for us. And God can use trials and difficulties to train us, to mature us, to discipline us, to make us more godly, more like Jesus. But it is never punishment for a Christian, never. Christ took all punishment upon himself. So I think that's one of the first things I always want to say and lessons that I want to remember and, and try to encourage other Christians to remember, too, is that trials are inevitable. Trials are no sign of God's punishment for Christians. We should expect them and not be uh, off guard when they come. But then the Bible says a lot of other things, too, about how we can redeem them and make the most of them. Mm, that's so well said. And that's such a great encouragement to me and um, is exactly what I want to do in all of my circumstances, uh, particularly this one as well, is to use this uh, for God's glory. And it's an opportunity mm. for me to trust the Lord and to know that uh, glorious hope that and joy that we have. And and I think it's um, also really important what you said, um, Pastor Tom of a Grace Baptist Church that uh, we as Christians, and especially in America where we have such great blessings of liberty, we haven't experienced the depth of persecution that other countries have. And, and so when bad circumstances or things that are uncomfortable or trials come our way, we can often say, oh, are, are we now outside of the will of the Lord because mm. now our circumstances aren't favorable? And so, uh, but for the Christian, we are in him. He is pleased with us and he does promise uh, those trials, but gives us the way to have joy in all circumstances where the Apostle Paul says, I, I can do all things. I can be in all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. And and so what? how should the Christian view being in the will of God when circumstances aren't favorable? Yeah. Well, and that's a very important question, and uh, the, the only way that I know how to understand it, make sense of it biblically, is to recognize that the, the Bible teaches that God, in His sovereign determination over all the events of the world, is working out His perfect plan. Now, we don't always understand that, but Deuteronomy 29, 29, I think, is a wonderful 
text of Scripture to guide us in this. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that have been revealed belong to us and to our uh, our children in order that we might do all the words of this law, keep all the words of this law. So what's being told to us there is that God has this secret will, this this eternal determination that he's going to bring things exactly to a conclusion the way that he has planned from all of eternity. But that hadn't been revealed to us in detail, but there has been to us. And so what Christians must do is live in the light of revelation. What is God's revealed will for me? Well, I know on any given day, God's will for me is to trust the Lord Jesus, to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love my neighbors as myself, and everything that goes into those two great commandments. That's what God requires of me every day. And as I'm living that way, I can say I'm living according to God's will. Not perfectly, but always intentionally. But then you do that, and something horrible happens to you, or persecution comes, trial comes. Uh, does that mean that now suddenly you're not in God's will? No. Those trials and persecutions are part of God's way of fulfilling His plan for your life. And so this is why you know, Jesus tells us to expect it. This tribulations are going to come. And in James chapter 1, Christians are told to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That doesn't mean that every trial is going to be joyful. Maybe in no trial is going to be joyful, but count it joy. Well, how do you do that? You do that because he, he goes on to say, because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials are not accidental in our lives. There's no wasted pain in a Christian's life. God uses trials to make us like Jesus. Trials expose to us our pride, expose to us our dependence upon Christ and our desperate need of Christ, and they also prove to us God's provisions, his grace, the sufficiency of Christ. And so knowing that, we can count our tribulations and trials as joy. Again, it doesn't mean they're enjoyable to go through, but we know this is not going to be wasted. God is going to use this in my life. So that's a great encouragement that belongs to us. We can we can access it. We have to the only way we get the encouragement, the only way we're able to navigate trials in these ways is to take God at his word, to believe that it, this is really true. But then another thing, Jenna, that I found when it gets more personal and people attack Christians and, you know, they they really do revile or, or just wicked things uh, against us because of Christ. I remember Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount again, Matthew 5. He says, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kind of manner of evil against you falsely on my account. Well, it doesn't feel like a blessing when people are cursing you, when people are trying to ruin your career, uh, when people are making life miserable for you because of your devotion to Christ. But Jesus says we are blessed. He goes on and tells us what to do. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, when, when I'm being persecuted or lied about or reviled because of my loyalty to Christ, my devotion to Him, two things are true. One, I'm blessed because I stand in good company with the prophets who went before us uh, who were persecuted like we're being persecuted. But then secondly, 
I'm called upon to rejoice and be glad because I have a great reward. Now, that's hard to do, and God's helped me with that personally over the years. And so here's what Don and I do. Uh, whenever there's seasons, and there have been a few where people have reviled me or particularly come against me because I've tried to stand for Christ, we celebrate. Uh, so we'll, we'll either maybe go out and get ice cream or maybe splurge and, and grill a steak or go out to eat or something. As we're trying to obey this, this commandment of Jesus, he tells us rejoice. When this happens, rejoice. You know, it's not just endure it, but rejoice. And uh, that takes faith. But what we've discovered through the years is the more that we have tried to do this, the the more uh, readily it's become for us to do it. And it's been great. We've actually been freed from the kind of depression and um, sometimes self-absorption absorption that can come through persecution. So I, it's not easy, and I don't mean to be glib, and I don't think Jesus was being glib about it either. But we have much to rejoice over when persecution comes, because this is the way they treated our master. This is the way they treated faithful men and women who've gone before us. And our reward in heaven is great. And if we believe that and we can really lay hold of it, it's worth celebrating. So I would encourage Christians to think about that, take God at his word, pray and ask the Lord to show and help us to believe really what Jesus said in those admonitions. And, and he's not, the, the, the apostles give us those same admonitions uh, as well. I think Paul in Romans 12 says that we are to bless those who persecute us and not curse them. Well, that takes grace, that takes faith, but that grace and faith is available to us because of Christ. So, man, it's a lot easier to talk about than it is to do, but I can testify that the more you do it, the more readily uh, it becomes, uh, you become equipped to do it, and it, it transforms perspective. It gives you an eternal perspective that allows you to keep these trials in, in the proper perspective so that you can count it all joy whenever they come to you. So well said, uh, Tom Askell, senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Florida, and uh, and I can personally testify as well that the more that I have learned in my spiritual life to trust God sooner, then the more I'm grateful that I did, and uh, and I have told so many uh, young people as well when they ask me, you know, is there is there one thing that you could go back and tell your younger self, and and I always say I wish that I learned uh, how to trust God more sooner. And, um, and I've, you know, of course, never um, been indicted before. I've never been a political prisoner before. But, um, you know, so there's a, there's a first time for that. But at the same time, um, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so my trust in him is no different. And this is where every Christian does have the opportunity, no matter what we face, in our lives uh, to trust God more sooner. And and in situations that I've been in, whether it's, um, you know, relationships that have broken or, you know, all kinds of things, um, you know, just the daily struggles of life and, and things that are difficult to go through, um, you know, people leaving churches over divisions or, you know, just all kinds of things. Um, I have learned that 
if I trust God at the beginning of a situation and say, Lord, I believe in your promises and you say, be anxious for nothing, but by everything in, in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to the Lord with thanksgiving and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that is a promise. And, and the great cloud of witnesses that have come before that testify to believing first, acting on it, and God found them faithful is because we believed and trusted first, acted on it. And as as my dear friend, uh, Pastor John MacArthur, when he faced a, a trial in uh, 2020 during the pandemic narrative, and they were trying to imprison him for his faith and for opening up his church. Um, and, and, and listeners know I represented him um, with, with some great colleagues as well. Um, certainly not just me, but with great colleagues in that case. And he told me every step of the way, he just said, okay, Jenna, this is what uh, God has for us. So the question is, what does he want us to do next? And it was an amazing display of faith and of resiliency in trusting the Lord in literally all circumstances. And he told me through that whole thing, um, he said, Jenna, I think you're going to learn a lot about God's sovereignty. And, and he was right um, that the Lord is sovereign and everything happens by and through uh, his design and purposes. And we can trust in that. And so in just the last um, two minutes I have with you, Pastor Tom, and, and thank you so much for your encouragement and your prayers. Um, just, you know, if you can, in, in, in just a minute and a half or so, um, talk about what faith does to to the Christian in terms of strengthening our understanding of who God is and why he's so trustworthy. Yeah. Well, that's vitally important. And I like to tell our people, you know, faith doesn't create realities. Faith accesses realities. And I'll use this illustration that that there's music in the room. Any room you're in, uh, there's music in the room. You just can't hear it because you don't have a radio tuner. But if you have a radio tuner and you tune it to the right station, you can access the music. Well, these realities, these blessings, these promises, they are true. The the goodness of God, the wisdom and power of God is true. But you may not be able to access it because you lack faith. But as you take out at his word, that's all that faith is. Believe what God says then these realities become yours. You're not creating them. You're not making them up in your mind. You're accessing what is genuinely there. One of my favorite passages on this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right at the end. Paul's gone through a litany of all the trials he's been through, and he says, but we don't lose heart. So though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And he says, for this slight momentary affliction is working for us eternal weight of glory, and he tells us how, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Well, how do you see unseen things? You see them by faith. And it's mm-hmm. not that the trials and the pains are unreal. You don't deny them. You don't pretend like you're not going through trials. You acknowledge it. But you realize there's more to reality than just these trials. There's unseen realities, and that's where we've got to live as Christians. And those unseen realities are just as true, but you'll only access them by faith. And so Mm -hmm. take God at his word. Believe what he says. He raised Jesus from the dead. He's trustworthy. And as we begin to live in the light of what he's revealed by faith, 
life becomes brand new for us. We are able to endure. We're able to persevere. We're able to count in all joy when trials of various sorts come upon us. Amen to that. Well, Pastor Tom Askell, thank you so much for your words of truth and for reflecting the truth of the Lord. And for everyone who is listening, no matter what you are going through, and I'm sure there are trials that um, that I don't know that you are going through, um, I hope that you are encouraged to trust the Lord, to remain steadfast in His promises, and to count it all joy regardless of our circumstances. And uh, may the Lord bless and keep all of us and to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of him because we all uh, do love him and we are called according to his purposes if we are part of the kingdom of God through our saving faith in our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So you can always reach me and my team Jenna at AFR.net and I will see you on Monday morning.